0: For us, we're all about balanced nutritional profiles. So we, I'm, I'm a big believer and a proponent of proteins, fats, carbohydrates as something that people should be eating every day, so long that they are healthy in with regards to that.
1: For for Gen Z in particular, that generation is looking for a lot of NA beverages with function, where alcohol plays a great function in a lot of our drinks, but there's a lot of negative side effects to that
2: think about every single aspect of the packaging and the really good part about um, playing around with packaging on e-commerce is that you could actually change it and change right. around the packaging and you know see what sticks um, you can't do that at retail so
3: so on this episode you're going to listen to a food and beverages brands c-suite and founder q4 roundtable at our recently concluded commerce excel conference it's a great episode you do not want to miss. so do stay tuned
0: We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic.
4: These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct to consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast hosted by Kula Campbell.
3: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. This is the podcast about e-commerce growth, 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 growth now. This episode you're about to listen to is a food and beverage brand expert panel with C-suite, C-suite leaders and founders at Food and Beverage's digital native food and beverage brands. It was hosted by Fred Hart. Fred Hart has been here on the show. He's a creative director and partner at Interact. He um, he interviewed um, panelists, the following panelists. Um, one was Kylie Lawrence, who's the head of marketing at Surely Wines. Max Samuel, who's founder and CEO of I One Organics, and Maya French, who is a cereal food founder. She's a founder of Joy Joy Days, and um, she founded another brand, a plant based brand called. Koya. Um terrific episode. What can I say? Um I thoroughly, you know, got into um the nitty-gritty of of how the food and beverages um you know um, space works. You know, personally, in you know, at Octinian Capital Partners, we we acquire a food and beverage brands. And it was very, very insightful to to hear from from these serial entrepreneurs on, you know, the trials, the tribulations, the wins, you know, the yeah, the tears and um, the laughs—you know—that's um, that's involved in 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 food CPG. So terrific, terrific episode. If you just want to get to grasp with the current challenges, the current you know, and the current strengths, opportunities in um, food and beverages today. So enjoy this episode. I should catch you tomorrow, where we'd have our final recording for um, for snippets from the Commerce Excel Conference. and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit Clavio.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is com forward slash 2x.
5: Welcome to the Commerce Excel stage two. That was an amazing session there with about content creatives. Um, It's an absolute pleasure to be back with you guys and have everybody tuning in from around the world. We're going to get right into it. We're a little bit behind schedule. Um, We're going to have our next panels about food and beverage brands, C-Suite and Founder Q4 Roundtable. So this roundtable is a bunch of heavy hitters in the food and beverage brand space. Uh, My name is Trevor Kratz. I'll be your host for the remainder of the day on stage two at the Commerce to Excel Conference. Uh, And it's proudly sponsored by... Uh, Platinum Partners, Rich Panel. I also want to give a shout out to a few partners here, Oct- Octillion Capital Partners, as well as we have uh, our gold partners, Partner Hero, Customer Labs, Simrush, VideoWise, and fairer as our copper partners as well. Now, a little housekeeping. This meeting is being recorded. Like I said, we're going to jump right into it and get started. Um, this session is being delivered to you by the greatest minds in creating differentiated consumer packaged goods and building stand out brands they're sure to have your mouth watering by the end of this talk you'll learn why the unboxing experience is just as satisfying for customers as consuming your product and how retail partners are treating their brands and what this means for the industry you also learn what channels are best in class brands are prioritizing and more and basically what you need to, to survive and thrive in these tumultuous times you're going to leave with a lowdown on capital investment landscape specific to food and beverage as well as who's making money who's raising money and who's going out of business. Uh, this session is going to be moderated by none other than Fred Hart. He's a partner and creative director at Interact Brands. Fred and his teams work with magnetic founders and strategic brand managers alike, even building their own studio brands to try to pr- practice what they preach. Expect many great insights from the tasty trenches of consumer packaged goods. Uh, if you have any questions, please use the question and answer feature in the lower right-hand corner. We will try to get uh, try to get them answered. Other than that, uh, grab a pencil and uh, grab a pencil and paper because this is going to be a great session. Uh, time for the roundtable. I'm going to hand it over to you, Fred.
6: Awesome. Thanks, Trevor. Appreciate the warm welcome and intro. We're all happy to be here today. And um, we've all got a pretty tight-knit crew. The CPG world, particularly in food and bev, is an intimate one. So we're luckily, we are all friends on this call. Um, I want to start with just a couple of intros. Maya, I'd love to have you start by telling everyone a little bit about your background.
2: Sure thing. Hi, everyone. I'm Maya French. I've been in this industry since 2013, originally founding a brand called Koya, which is plant-based nutrition. We create uh, plant-based shakes. And now I'm on my second venture, uh, Joy Days, which we create snacks, feel-good snacks for people who need them the most, focusing on uh, snacks that don't cause a rise in your blood sugar and balances blood sugar for people living with chronic conditions.
6: Amazing. Thank you, Maya. Mark, love to have you follow up. Uh, hey, hey, Fred! <laughs>
0: you didn't know what I was going to say here. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> keeping it PG, I'll, I'll show. Um, Mark Samuel, founder of I One Organics. Uh, we're an organic, plant-based snack company. Uh, we're out of California. Uh, I'm in Northern California myself, uh, and that's uh, that's what we've been doing. We've been uh, started in 2016, still here today. It's a game. That's that's
6: a that's a positive thing. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. And Kyle, we'll have you uh, follow up as well. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah. Hey, guys. Good to see you all. Kyle Lawrence here. I'm relatively new to this space, actually, but head of marketing here at Shirley Wines. We sell real wine with our wine with alcohol removed. So we uh, source all of our wine in Northern California in the Napa region. And we magically and scientifically, delicately remove the alcohol from the wine so you get a full-bodied finish as you'd expect without the negative side effects of alcohol.
6: Amazing. Between the three of you, we're already hitting on a lot of consumer trends when it comes to product between non-alc and sober curious consumers, people that are looking for um, permissible indulgence with things like Better For You Cookies, and joy Days, and then of course, salty snacks, but also at the heart of nutrition. And I know that nutrition is a big deal for you, Mark, in in your background. I'd love to start with you, Mark, and kind of ask you a general and broad question and just see where you want to take it, which is, what do you see as the state of CPG today? Obviously, there's a lot going on. You can talk about the slowing of plant-based meats. You can talk about the rise of things like actually just eggs. It was in the news that their products have hit price point parity with premium eggs. We can talk about mushrooms and adaptogens and everything else that's going on. But what are some of the things that you pay attention to the most? Uh, uh,
0: it's a good question. Um, I, I don't pay. This might sound odd. But <laughs> I don't actually pay attention to much of anything. Um, I I I've said this, uh, talked about this with other people too. I, I don't really pay attention to other brands too much, other uh, would-be competitors, other verticals. Um, what's trending, what isn't trending. And that's because to the heart of what we do is really to the heart of what I believe in as far as uh, n- proper nutrition. So yeah. like for us, we're all about balanced nutritional profiles. So we I'm I'm a big believer and a proponent of proteins, fats, carbohydrates as something that people should be eating every day so long that they are healthy in, with regards to that. Um, so it, it, I think it's easier for me to answer it in that way, which is I don't pay too much attention. I might, if anything, chuckle more than most at what I see coming down the pipe in those in those different verticals that you had mentioned. Um, not in a bad way, just more in a
6: haha type of way. So there are a lot of sort of fads that definitely run sure. through the industry. I think we're all familiar with them. My, um, I'd love to move it over to you. You know, this is your second time starting a CPG brand. How did you identify permissible indulgence as the place that you wanted to play at next? And um, just talk a little bit about joy days.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, After exiting my first company, I spent a a ton of time actually doing research and opposite of you, Mark, kind of seeing where the the new trends were in the market uh, from anywhere from like traveling or just speaking to other founders and VCs. And what I really saw as the gap was there were a lot of cool... uh, you know, great products that are expensive ingredients and maybe more catered toward the affluent customer. And everyone's looking for a a sense of personalization when it comes to their health, but who's really catering to people, you know, living with chronic conditions and looking at food as actual function. And that's where I saw the biggest opportunity. It was more like low glycemic foods and management of blood sugar. So this is what, you know, attracted me to joy days is is like joy days we actually create snacks that don't cause a spike in your blood sugar it's just as you mentioned mark a complete balance of your proteins your fats your carbs um so that it you know you don't have that afternoon slump during the day um so i really think that where we're headed as far as trends in food and beverage is something that actually you know Uh, feeds people's chronic conditions as we're having more of them, especially after the pandemic, you're seeing more people that are sick and, you know, ailing, and it's not more of these things uh, or something that like helps your mood, improves your mood. So you're looking at nootropics. A lot of people are into that and they're putting those in beverage formats or food formats, not saying that they work all the time (laughs) but uh i think that a lot of people are looking more into yeah personalization and how to improve their health from a more functional standpoint versus just flavor but flavor will always be number one uh taste will always be number one so we're seeing a lot of rises in like um unique salty flavors and sweet flavors and basically reverse engineering things that we're used to but in a more healthier way
6: you talked a little bit about kind of the pandemic and, and what that did to some of the trend cycles and consumers. Kyle, within sort of the non-ELK space, which seems to be just growing and growing, particularly with entrepreneurs throwing their hats into the ring, product expansions, um, investors talking about you know how bullish they are. Just what did the pandemic, if anything, do to the Shirley business?
1: Yeah, great question. So back in 2019, Justin and Ryan, our founders, they were working with Perfect Keto and Kettle and Fire, two brands that they started. And they saw this moderation movement emerging out of COVID where people's relationship with alcohol was changing. So a lot of people, the consumption increased, and then their behavior out of that turned into moderation. And there's a lot of uh, the Gen Z, at least a lot of the news is talking about this, Gen Z is drinking less, where they think, you know, in 20, 30 years and now, that generation will look at Alcohol, like we did for cigarettes and smoking. So, they saw an opportunity in the non-alcoholic space, specifically in wine as a premium product. So, Mm -hmm. beer is 85% of the non-alcoholic space right now. And then, wine and alternative spirits take up a smaller percentage. There's two big players in the wine space that are owned by big wine conglomerates, and they're selling wine for $8, and there's no alcohol in it. So, it's essentially glorified grape juice. Yeah. So we saw the opportunity to provide a premium alcohol alternative within the wine space, and, and that's where Shirley emerged. Um, most of our customers do tend to be a little bit older. Um, so they they are wine lovers who have an experience with wine where the younger demographic for us is a little harder, where their relationship with wine doesn't necessarily exist at the, the rate that an older demographic who's had a lot of relationship with alcohol or wine uh where they respect and have a different relationship where a non-alcohol option means more to them other than you know a pregnant woman or a younger you know 25 to 30 year old mother where it's more of like a a, the the non alk option appears as more of a social value versus an actual
6: health value You're kind of leading us into maybe our next point, which is going to be about like consumers. And I know that in the retail space for food and beverage companies, there's often been a gatekeeper of the retailer between the customer and the brand, and that there has been a huge shift for CPG companies moving to online spaces to create direct relationships with their consumers. And one thing I'll just ask you in particular, Kyle, is you mentioned... Uh, Gen Z and projecting what their drinking habits will be like in the future, but also that your kind of uh, buying audience today is actually on the older end. So, how do you think about having those two different consumer groups and where you apply marketing spend and and try to position the brand for the long term versus the short term? Yeah, great
1: question. So for us, we've kind of priced out the younger demographic being a premium product, mm. so we sell our wine around 25 to $30, which, which would be premium wine if it had alcohol in it. So, yep. uh, a lot are, are, we're targeting more of an affluent crowd with a higher income status now for, for Gen Z in particular, that generation is looking for a lot of NA beverages with function where alcohol plays a great function in a lot of our drinks, but there's a lot of negative side effects to that. So yep. we're, you know, I won't, reveal what we're coming out with but we're looking at product expansion to address different demographics to to capitalize on that question um and and that's kind of what we've we've learned through surveying and just understanding our customer that it's going to require more than just wine potentially to hit hit all demographics
6: makes sense maya i'd love to talk to you for a second you recently started and propped up joy days and you're talking about looking at white space and and where there was room for something new how did you um and your team think about who your audience was going to be certainly like all people love cookies so i mean you know are you trying to go after everyone really broadly do you have a specific design audience in mind and how if at all you know is the digital landscape helping you get to know them
2: yeah, definitely. Well, when we look at low glycemic and blood sugar balance, that kind of is a halo for all people living with you know chronic conditions, even biohackers. Um, yeah. and so that leaves it very broad. But we saw the biggest opportunity as far as audiences in um, in digital in a digital landscape through the diabetes community. So that's who we're targeting initially. Um, over fifty one percent of the population is either pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, and no one is actually marketing to them other than the traditional like Lucerne's of mm. the world. Yeah. Um, so old we, school
6: brands. Like.
2: Old school brands. Yeah. So we really wanted to take a modern approach. Um, and so we, we believe that, you know, marketing to them initially, we will be able to easily build community, which we've already seen like amazing traction, uh, even through TikTok and just simple messaging of telling people what they can eat versus what they can't. Um, and then we do believe that this is a broader trend. So um, you'll start to see uh, you know, glucose monitoring being implemented into wearables like Fitbit or Apple Watch. Um, you already see you know, biohackers wearing levels monitoring their blood sugar throughout the day. So you know, as that happens, we wanna be at the forefront of that um, as we expand into retail and it becomes a bigger conversation. But we believe uh, initially just targeting that very niche audience of uh, the diabetes community will be able to uh, have really great word of mouth awareness.
6: Yeah. Okay. Yep. Really cool.
0: Brand, big big brands are marketing to them. We, we're we just not calling it out. I mean, every candy brand, every Oreo markets. I mean, every big brand that has a lot of money is marketing to those same people. Anyway, this could go way off the rails here. <laughs> uh, so just that's fact. And then the last piece to it is they're, 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 anyway they're they're diabetic or they're pre-diabetic because of the because of the history of how they ate yes mm-hmm. if, if they just didn't eat that way uh, anyway yeah, uh, that's about
2: this uh, yeah. we could
0: go for a game, we could we could go on this for a minute if they just corrected the way that they ate they would not have that uh as part anyway um, well, and you um, go you go, ahead, go even yeah.
6: further than that, Mark. You know you're very outspoken on LinkedIn and and plenty of platforms. And it's not just about food and diet for you, but lifestyle. I mean, sure. you're a big advocate of fitness and being active, and just very holistic in that whole in that whole arena. So when you are basically trying to reprogram consumers to understand how to take better care of themselves with great products like Iowan, is there is there anything that in the, in the span of I want organics today that has shifted in your mindset about who you've actually marketing to from day one to, to where you are today?
0: Yeah, it, that's a, it's a really good question. And, and I, am going to say something that's going to be unique to it. Um, actually it's not about I One. it's like eating real food. Like Love what it. I bring steak and an apple, steak and an apple. There's two ingredients. That's what you should be eating. That's what everybody should be eating if you have you ever walked into and you have go walk into your gas station today go actually just go walk into the grocery store but i mean it's what we're being marketed to to be eaten to eat um as far as making us feel good or 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 you know it it's it's we we're being we're being told um, and, and being sold things that are not good for us. Yep. And the minute that we make that change and what I call small habits, small habits that start with things like exercise, walking around the block, and then getting into eating real whole foods. Notice how I'm not even talking about I1. I- I'm talking about eating real whole foods. Once you do that, you will be on the road to what will eventually be your lifestyle. And there right. is no gre- greater feeling, both physically and mentally in the world, to having that be part of your life. So now, as far as a snacking platform like I want Organics, what are we here for? We're here as a health and wellness platform to say, if you are going to eat those other things, we'd prefer you to eat ours as part of your journey to get to these places that I'm talking about, which yep. are far greater. It was just um, mindset oriented. E- exactly. And so we're here to help you far beyond just snacking. The platform is here to talk about health and wellness. And if it's coming from me, so be it. That's fantastic too. Because I want people to look and feel good. Uh, and they can only do that if they correct these things that they've been doing, which are harming them every single day. Um, and so that's uh, that's what I want organics and the platform is all about. Just talking in truths.
6: Yeah, well, it's obviously refreshing to hear because that sort of candor does not necessarily exist within the larger strategics. At this point, it's it's to their detriment to talk like that. But in general, each of you have products that are about you know mindfulness or better habits, um, better products, and to parlay this into a topic around fundraising. You've got to scale your brand you want to be able to grow access to grow distribution so that people can readily and conveniently start to opt in um, to these products as a part of their mindset change so let's talk about fundraising and what any of you see as the state of uh, fundraising and you know raising capital and investors in today's sort of like environment
3: let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x that is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x gorgeous.com that's g-o-r-g-i-a-s.com and mention 2x e-commerce podcast for two months free that is gorgeous.com for two months free just mention 2x e-commerce
6: how you want to oh maya go first
2: oh okay (laughs) as i'm actively raising great Yeah. (laughs) yeah um the state is very much different. I I think, you know, we're raising around this time last year, uh, a lot of people are just going off the, you know, the vision and there's a lot of money that was flowing into our industry, even specifically. But now I think the landscape is changing, um, you know, as as the economy is up in uproar and a lot of people are saying, hey, you need to really just show traction as a brand. We need to basically see the proof that you can actually, you know, survive in this market. We're not really just investing in a vision anymore. So the stakes are much higher, I believe. Um, And, you know, a lot of money is actually is flowing out of CPG, I think, because just like the multiples aren't there compared to a lot of other industries. Um, So it's been a really difficult time for us. But in general, I think people, we need to see community and traction. So it's like, are you do you have the customers there? So it's just like focusing on building that customer base, whether that's through email lists or your community, or you know, going out and getting those retail doors and showing traction or making sure that your e-commerce sales are up to par too, which is also really hard because. With the changes with you know Facebook ads and just Google has so much noise in e-commerce. So a lot of people are flowing out of e-commerce into retail to actually show that. So yeah, I think <laughs> that's yeah, that's she, what's going on <laughs> from my uh, perspective. On, yeah. on the back
0: of that, she she articulates it perfectly. Um, it's flowing back out because there are multiple things that are 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 at issue. Um, one is there's no multiples. Well, there's also no success stories. I think people had it really wrong. And, and even me, I mean, I, as, as, I, as I'm now in this thing, six plus years, yeah. I got to see what a gold rush looked like. Like I was really naive. So I got to see what does this look like? You can't count. I talk openly about it. You, you could probably count on your hands how many true success stories there are. Those big headlines, the ones that are acquisition, this, that, and the other, nobody knows what really happened behind the scenes. A lot of it was not investors walking away with tons of, you know, a big ROI. There's just not a lot of truce in the business. Oh. That is um, margin. We aren't talking enough about that. If I'm an investor, I want to know about margin. And I'm telling you right now, nobody has it. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's number two. Number three, these VCs and PEs, much love to all you out there. Um, they're having to support bad deals. Yeah. So I'm just going to restate that. They're having to support deals that they're already in and, and having to, to to deploy more money to support them and keep them afloat. That sort of sucks. You know, that whole that analogy of throwing, you know, sort of that bad money that, thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it's hard to deploy to new opportunities, maybe even joy days. I mean, I don't know enough about what my I, I always thought it was Koya stuff. Sorry, my I I I need that's how much I don't follow along. By the way, Koi is, is a great product. Uh, shout out, Chris. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's like you can't you can't deploy to something new, right? Because you have to support things that are already failing. Now, I'm just going to give you a, for instance, for us, like for us right now, we're working on something right now that is was not of um, in front of us uh, six months ago, 12 months ago, and it's because of the lay of the land right now. We have to get super creative. Yeah. I, I flipped up every single rock that I possibly could. Um, and we're right in the middle of something that, that again, is just all about creative working right now to try to
6: get something done. Kyle, any thoughts or perspective on this?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough time. Capital markets are sensitive. To Mark's point, you have to get really creative. We're, we're going internally through a total priority change where mm. we've been heavy e-com, high growth product market fit no longer is that the playbook investors aren't going to deploy cash against at that at a huge loss. So for us, it's Amazon and retail where we have the highest gross margin and getting really creative. If that requires us to be on every street corner, giving people samples of wine, we're going to do that if we can get the lowest possible CAC, or we wouldn't have done that two years ago. Right. Cause right. we could just pay $40 to acquire a customer on, on Facebook, but that's, that's not working anymore. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure on founders and and teams to to get creative with how they're deploying the cash to really create short-term value and not play this long tail game as much baking on retention and so that's that's kind of what we're experiencing right now and i'm sure a lot of everyone else is experiencing similar uh, well within the
6: context of commerce excel i mean this is a pretty digitally native kind of uh audience and environment that we're talking about but CPG has always been grounded in retail. And, you know, one thing that I think is kind of interesting is just how much buzz Omnichannel is now suddenly getting. There were all of these DTC brands that popped up in the food and beverage space, but whether we're talking about OmSum or, you know, more traditional players like Soylent or Dirty Lemon, if any, or not Dirty Lemon, um, what's the Lemon Perfect. Lemon perfect. <laughs> Lemon perfect. But actually Dirty Lemon, even back in the day, they were all like SMS and they tried to go around retail. Retail was sort of seen as this place where you were getting constantly screwed by retailers, no information. Digital was the new age. Um, but then here we are, all of these other changes, you know, LTVs are crazy, CACs, et cetera. And so you see the shift and, and Business Insider just wrote this article about white DDC brands who once shunned Walmart as bargain basement are now rushing to get into retail So it seems like there's sort of this pendulum swinging back all of a sudden. Can the three of you explain what the benefits are retail are because I think the commerce Excel community would appreciate understanding your perspectives there. I have to run because I have a 10 o'clock. can I just give 30 seconds on it? Hot take go for it.
0: it retail retail should have always been a play I mean we were really blessed like we didn't go all in on this whole on this whole acquisition thing right? Um, I always, it's in front of me right now, Our 2022, uh, goals, 20%. I had up there for D uh, 2 C. So, um, I think retail always had to be play retail is extremely tough though, and it's going to continue to be tough. And, um, you have to find the right partnerships that are going to do you right. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with this has just happened this morning. I just read it and this is how difficult it is besides all the fees associated with retail, because people forget that, right? How expensive it is to play there there's also a lot of things not occurring that should be occurring that aren't talked about enough as far as a partnership and the deliverables on their yep, side yep. they're making really decent margin and then there are things like promotions and scans and things like that oftentimes they're not even being applied properly point in case i'm just going to leave you with it's not the greatest news like i just read this email this morning one of our biggest partners they haven't even been we've been we've been having a scan back right we've been we've been being yep. charged and they have not been applying it to the price. Nice. I, I'm just you'd have to understand what I mean here when I talk about retail. The, the, I'm talking about month over month over month and And where's the recourse? There is none. Their margin right now, their margin is something like fifty five percent. so I, where's where's the state of it right now? I don't know, but I wish brands could collectively get together and have real heart to hearts yeah, with these Martin, retail brother. partnerships. Because that's what they're supposed to be, right? Um, and so there's there's my hot take. Uh, and I wish you all. Thanks the for joining us, Mark. I, I I appreciate it. Be good, guys.
6: Cool. You know, Kyle, did Shirley start digitally native or 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 D2C e com and then and what has retail strategy been like for you?
1: Yeah, we we started D2C and only as of recently we've taken a change to address the retail market. Yep. Uh we've always been product market fit on D2C the first two years. And then retail has been our plan for 2022 and 2023. We'll be launching pretty soon in a pretty big retailer in, in November. Um, but yeah, for us, it, it's beverage. It's, you know, if the consumer's thirsty, they want to drink now. And we're a part of their, their, their grocery plan. So I think for us, you know, in some of the D2C beverage brands, it's a little bit opposite of the consumer behavior to buy beverage online yep. you know, margins are tough too so yeah it's I heavy think shipping like, yeah it's it's I, I, we haven't done it but it probably would have been easier to have retail distribution retail again i think mark voiced this maybe on our call a couple weeks ago it's it's a lot more relational so sales reps are working with sales reps of, of retail so it's a, a whole different beast but for us like we want to be a part of their their grocery plan and not be you know disregarded because we're too expensive or shipping's too expensive even though they want the product. Yep. So that's that's our retail strategy is that's going to be our acquisition sampling plan. And then D2C will be more of a retention play and how do we provide the best possible product experience at the highest profitable return. And it'll kind of be this symbiotic relationship where <laughs> we're, we're seeing as they, there's a relationship between the two, not silo revenue channels. So
6: one thing I'd love to talk about is just brand building in general. So Shirley just went through a brand refresh, um, new brand identity packaging, updated website. Maya, you and I had worked in the past when you were at Koya and we were fortunate to be your branding partner and and work together and refresh that. And then you've launched Joy Days and from the very beginning invested in creative, which is awesome. Can the two of you talk about the role of design in your brands, its importance, how you go about it, like what shaped your thinking around it?
2: Yeah. I, I think I, I could start off and I could speak to, to both brands. Uh, Fred, when we came to you, we, we had a, a a label that was basically made on Microsoft Word. Uh, we were called Raw Nature 5, which could be interpreted in many different ways. Um, and We really knew that we needed to stand out on shelf. Um, I have the packaging here which You know, Fred, you guys did an amazing job at and it's a rain. It's basically like a rainbow because every flavor is a different color. So it really stands out. Um, And you have to think about that. What stands out on um, online might not stand out on shelf Mm -hmm. until you physically get there. And then you also have to think about your placement on shelf, whether you're eye level, or you know, on the ground or up top. Uh, So all of those things kind of take into account. Uh, your branding and then also your the hierarchy of your call outs. So with Joy Days, uh, we were very, very thoughtful about creating a brand that didn't make people living with chronic conditions feel otherized. Yeah. Um so we have this amazing like, you know, bright pink uh, packaging, which is really fun. But we also have like, you know, the supporting colors of like green um and purple so that, you know, men don't feel alienated, but also the hierarchy of call-outs is our First taste is number one. So the cookie is very large on the packaging. And then the three grams of sugar is a huge call out because for the general public, uh, people care about low sugar products. That's one thing that they notice first. And then deliciously balances on the package. It's a nod to people living with diabetes and who care about blood sugar spikes. Um, But also people are always counting the numbers. So the net carbs are really important um, on top of the fiber that you're getting from the package. So, uh, very thoughtful about that from every aspect, even from the font of having something that's very large so that people can read. So, it's it's very you have to think about every single aspect of the packaging and the really good part about um, playing around with packaging on e-commerce is that you could actually change it and change right. it around the packaging and you know see what sticks. Um, you can't do that in <clears throat> retail. So.
6: <laughs> Amazing. Well, so with Joy Days, you know, you're talking about a product that you want to really communicate flavor and appetite appeal, product benefit, um, and feel very approachable. But when it comes to wine, very, very different like, like kind of objectives that you have with design. So how can you talk just about the evolution of Shirley over time?
1: Yeah, so, so our label design uh, was kicked off about a year ago. And I mean, wine is unique in the sense where it's, it's very branding label driven, where you walk into the wine aisle you' most people just shop by the label and the price yep. and there's not a lot of investigation around the story or the brand besides the, the price the varietal and, and the label so for for us being non-alcoholic we, we wanted to be we wanted to make people feel comfortable and cool holding a non-alcoholic <laughs> bottle of wine that you know wasn't very visible that it said zero percent alcohol uh, we wanted it to feel like real wine. And have a pretty aesthetic as well. So that, those were kind of our two objectives there. Or if my creative director was on the call, she would have a lot more to say. But um, <laughs> those were my objectives. <laughs> yeah, make people well, feel think- inclusive and 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 not feel like they're excluded by not drinking alcohol.
6: Yep, I think the you know the other really important. Piece to talk about here is it seems like content is king these days and while you have some of the brand fundamentals of your brand identity and certainly packaging design because we're selling goods that need to be packaged um, digital touch points creative content all of those are constantly being refreshed for engagement um, and just relevancy in general with culture can you talk either of you talk just a little bit about like how you view content creation and, and just continuing to Manifest the brand through these like optimal touch points.
2: Um, Personally, we've seen a lot of success with like UGC, Um, especially Mm -hmm. with, you know, you have food products. People want to see other people trying and enjoying these products. So if you get those like authentic customer reviews, you can easily repurpose those as ads and they perform very well. Um, TikTok has been an amazing platform for us. We actually started, uh, we launched the brand like January, started TikTok in February and already have massed like 4,000 followers. And it's basically like we're paying creators like $50, hmm. and they are uh, you know, basically saying, hey, what do you shop for at Walmart? And it's getting like hundreds of thousands of views. It's incredible. And it's not like, we're not lecturing the consumer. We figured out that just telling them those simple things of what they can have actually resonates uh, well. And it helps really build community and it's shareable content. I think shareable content is also king here.
6: I'll just, a quick comment on that. What I find so interesting when, we're working with all of our different brands and, and helping them through their creative. We look at all this UGC and can't help but go, all this looks the same. But it's really not about having differentiated content at that point. It's once you're inside of that bubble, it's creating a sense of trust for those consumers. And so in some ways, UGC, it's its wrong to think about how do you differentiate your UGC, UGC from someone else. I mean, is that a fair statement? How do you guys, do you even care that it doesn't look visually different from anyone else?
2: I think I think it's authentic. We rely yeah. on our creators. And if they're all creating something that looks similar, then you know, then that's that. Just as long as it's resonating with the audience. I mean you you know every once in a while you find those really, really creative ones. They might cost <laughs> a little bit more money. <laughs> but then that content's lasting like over a year because yep. it's so you know authentic. So
6: now Kyle, you guys um because you're non-alcoholic product, does that allow you to be more flexible with your marketing than if you were an alcoholic wine? Can you talk about things there? Yeah, that's a good question. the The, the short answer is yes. Uh-huh. TikTok
1: in particular is a little more strict, where sure. they will crawl your site and look for certain keywords, and and so we've we've had some issues advertising on TikTok um, because they have really strict rules on alcoholic brands, even if you're an alcoholic alternative. Yep. Facebook it's pretty much it's fair game so it's it's been our our
6: biggest channel and what we've invested in facebook is your biggest channel yep. yeah and do you find that the audiences are vastly different between tiktok and facebook for your brand not necessarily like i said about price too like
1: we've we've tested different offers on tiktok specifically versus facebook but because of the price it it tends to lean older and like i was saying before like we're, we're looking for a customer who has a relationship w- with wine particularly um and, and that tends to be someone who's older generally 30 years and, and older okay
2: i also i also like to add too. there's like a misconception of the audience on tiktok people think it's huge younger but my mom's on tiktok now uh, a lot of older people are on tiktok so <laughs> it's similar yeah. to facebook yeah
6: very true I think that's a really good reminder. We can so quickly jump to conclusions around, you know, it's just a Gen Z platform, but um, that's a limited way to view any sort of channel or model. Um, how do you guys think about marketing on Amazon third-party platforms? Like, do you guys have the Amazon homepage and the setups there? Do you create unique content for Amazon? Or are you just picking up and lifting things from other efforts? I'm
2: not on Amazon yet, so...
6: We
1: we've been on Amazon historically. It's been uh, a second thought, to be honest. We we've used mm-hmm. it to kind of liquidate certain inventory levels. Right now, we're in the process of refining our Amazon store, so we're going to be building out a full branded page um, and and running ads using their ambassador influencer program as well. So that's more of the future of Shirley versus what we've done in the past. <clears throat> yeah,
6: and then in terms of uh... Shirley, do you guys sell more in the can space or the bottles? And, and what do you find is like different consumer behavior between those packs?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So in non-alcoholic in general, sparkling products are, are easy to mimic the more one-to-one match. Uh. So the carbonation does something to the, the human palate that kind of shocks it for a second and, and gives that kind of alcoholic feel. So to answer your question, cans are our best-selling product and have our highest retention because of that product experience. Where it's a lot harder to make a still wine, um, and, and meet the expectations of the consumer in mm-hmm. regards to the one-to-one match between full-strength alcohol wine versus not alcohol. Yep. So we we've been prioritizing cans. Also, too, we we've, we've done a survey where most of our customers we've asked them are they are they choosing to. Lower their alcohol consumption alone with friends and family or, you know, or both. 50% of our customers are choosing to drink or drink less alone. So the single serving cans make a lot more sense than buying a
6: full bottle, open it, and then it expires. Pre-portioned for them. Yep. Exactly. Amazing. Well, I'm looking at the time here and we're almost up and we've got the next panel started. But Maya and Kyle and Mark, who's not here anymore, really appreciate you guys sharing your insights. Love the brands that you guys are all building, the way that you're pushing our whole industry forward and helping to disrupt and be a part of the changing of the guard. So thanks for sharing with our audience today.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks, Brad.